What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. Uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be starting this episode a little bit differently. Um, this is gonna be a longer episode. There's so many concepts and things that have to be said about these few verses that we're going over here in Ephesians five. That uh, I just wanted to get straight into it. Um, we're gonna do a little bit different. I'm gonna read the full passage. We're gonna give then a a kind of an overview breakdown of the implications of the whole passage we read and then we'll go through and break it down verse by verse like we normally do so we're going to be going through ephesians 5 verses 18 through 21 and these are very important verses and we'll discover why but i'm going to go ahead and read through these four verses three four verses here and then we'll do a quick overview and then break it down so paul says in verse 18 do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled by the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this little, this, this, these little three, four verses in this passage, it, it tells us something interesting because Paul is telling us some of the ways that the Spirit influences believers when He fills us. And so some of your translations for verse 18 might be said, but be filled with the Spirit. And that can lead us to believe that instead of getting drunk with wine, what Paul wants us to do is just be filled with the Holy Spirit. However, the the proper understanding and with how the Greek uses uh, this verse here, and we talked about this last episode, is that we're we're supposed to be filled by the Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit that is filling us. And we'll discover in the next few verses what the Spirit fills us with. But this passage gives us a few examples of how the Holy Spirit influences believers when He fills us. And we're told a few things. We're told that we should begin to speak to one another in psalms, in hymns. And we're told to conduct worship of God together. We're also told to offer our thanks to the Lord. And this is interesting because these are actions that would have taken place via a priestly role with the old physical temple under the old law. And I think this is very interesting because we know that an Old Testament temple liturgy would consist of singing, of psalms, in hymns and musical worship would take place in the temple along with an offering to God and giving thanks to God and worshiping God. And since Paul has already noted in chapter 2 that the body of Christ, the, the individual members, you and me, all the believers, are now collectively the new temple. We're told that God dwells in the new temple that we collectively make up as believers. And I think this is really cool. Because he also calls on the body of Christ to continue with this worship liturgy that previously was done in the physical temple, but now it's being done in the new spiritual temple. And so we're told to continue this this liturgy by singing and speaking psalms and hymns to one another and worshiping God together and offering our thanks to God. And I love this. This is such a spirit-led insight from Paul because when we, when we realize 
where and when in the timeline of history Paul is writing this, we see some profound things. Because Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians anywhere from around 60 AD to 62 AD. And at this time that Paul is writing around 60 AD, the physical temple in Jerusalem is still standing. So at at the very moment, if you were to read this right after Paul wrote it, you may be thinking like, well, well, Paul, this is kind of weird. <laughs> like, like, why would we be doing all the things that's normally done in the physical temple, not in the physical temple? Like, why not just go do it in the physical temple if it's there? But here's, here's the, the absolutely profound thing about this is that we know that the temple in Jerusalem fell. It was destroyed just 10 years later after Paul writes this. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Now, think about the implications of this. Think about the, the profound message that God provided to his people by saying this, we no longer partake in the physical temple and its services because through Jesus we have become the new temple. And guess what? You can still worship in this new temple. You can still offer your thanks in this temple. You can still do all of the same liturgy can be done in the spiritual temple and be prepared to do this because in 10 years from now, you can't do this in the physical temple because this temple is going to be destroyed. But the spiritual temple through Christ will never be destroyed. So you can continue worshiping God like like you and your ancestors had done for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that we see uh, chronicled throughout the entire Old Testament, and you're able to do this in a spiritual temple that can't be destroyed. It can't be overtaken. And God dwells in this new temple. Isn't that such a profound thing that, that Paul is, is setting forth here in these few verses in Ephesians 5? I just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, the rest of this episode's going to kind of focus a little bit different than than what this context was, but I just thought that was really profound and interesting. And I think it's very important that we understand this in order to understand what Paul is going to be saying in these verses. So once again, like we always do, we're going to break this down verse by verse. We already read through it. We're just going to break it down verse by verse. So verse 18, Paul says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled by the spirit. And so a quick recap of last episode is in order because it'll help us understand the the mindset that Paul is in going through these next three verses. Uh, what Paul did in uh, the previous verses that we went over last episode is he gives us a triad of opposites that contrasts our old self without Jesus and our new selves with Jesus. And this triad is composed of the contrast between being unwise and wise, being foolish or discerning, and being drunk with wine or being filled by the Spirit. And since Paul is finishing this triad by highlighting the Spirit's filling of believers, we'll notice that the next three verses actually give results of what it looks like for a believer to be influenced and to be filled by the Holy Spirit. So on to verse 19, this is some of the first ones we see. Paul says, addressing or speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. 
Now, real quick, uh, I'm reading from the ESV, and the ESV says addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. However, the Greek word here that gets translated as addressing actually just means to speak, just literally to, to speak, talk to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, so on and so forth. And to me, this seems kind of weird. Like, how are we supposed to speak to each other in psalms? And in hymns and spiritual songs, that, that seems very odd. <laughs> it seems counterintuitive. And I don't know why, but the first thought that pops into my head is, is talking to one of my friends by like quoting instinct lyrics or something. <laughs> it just seems really odd to think about speaking to each other in these kind of pre-written forms and ways. But I think Paul has a different idea in mind. And the idea is this. The idea is that believers would have the worship poems of Scripture, right? The Psalms and the hymns so ingrained in our hearts that it will completely shape how we talk and how we talk to others. And to me, this is such a profound concept that I honestly struggle with at times because if I'm being honest, I have not done enough deep reading into the Psalms and other worship literature and scripture where I would be able to just have these words and these concepts and these sayings and quotes on my lips at all time. And that's something I, I, I need to work on. But what else could Paul be saying here? I mean, I think this is exactly what he means, that if we're, if we're to speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, then we are to constantly have worship of God on our lips, to constantly have worship of God in our conversations. The, the idea is this, that, that worshiping God is not just to be done in our own little quiet time or in specific settings. If we're supposed to speak to other believers in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs, that means that we're supposed to be speaking to other believers in a constant state of worship of God and constantly having his holy word on our lips. And, and this is one of the effects that the Holy Spirit has on us when he fills us. He fills us with the ability and desire to have God's word and his worship on our lips in our everyday conversations, in our everyday conversations with each other. Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about it. It completely changes how you speak and what you speak when we grasp this concept. So that is one way that the Holy Spirit influences believers when he fills us. Let's look at another one. We're also told in verse 18 that we are to be singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart. And here we see a change in, in the posture of our hearts that comes with a recognition for the grace that God has given us. Think of this. What is there to be thankful for? Right? What is there to be thankful for? Well, luckily, Paul has kind of given us a, a plethora of reasons for what we should be thankful for. If we just read the first four chapters of this letter to the Ephesians, uh, I promise you, you won't be left empty-handed with things that you can be thankful for and that you can worship God for. 
Because remember, Paul tells us that we have been given an undeserving grace that pulls us away from our sin-filled, world-worshipping, enemy-of-God life that we once lived. We're given a grace that adopts us into God's family and gives us citizenship into his kingdom. Uh, We've been given a grace that allows the body of Christ to be God's new temple and dwelling place, bringing us even closer to the presence of God. We've been given a grace that gives the church gifts and people who can keep us from falling in to false doctrines and sin, a grace that gives us a new identity as a servant of Jesus the Messiah, a grace that did all of this when we absolutely deserved none of it. So when the Holy Spirit fills us and when we recognize the grace that we've been given, of course, our reaction should be to sing and to make melody to the Lord. Of course, we should worship him. This is the influence that the Holy Spirit has on our life when he fills us. All right, let's look at some other influences that the Holy Spirit has on us. Uh, Verse 20, look at this. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I absolutely love this. And it really gives us a framework for how our Christian lives and communities should be operating. So as believers, we're, we're filled with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit fills us up. And a result of that is a constant state of giving thanks to God for everything. And obviously, we could get into the weeds of why giving thanks and approaching God with a humble heart is important. But one thing that struck me with these expressions of the Spirit's filling is the communal nature where this all takes place. Because a big problem with modern Christianity, at least in the West, is that our culture is very individualistic. And as a consequence of this individualism, uh, we, we start to individualize our relationship with God and our worship of God. And individualism in worship or in relations to Jesus is, is highlighted somewhat in Scripture, but it's not the main focus. More often, we are given these concepts of relationship to God and worship of God in a communal setting. I mean, just think through this letter. Paul has shared concepts of this shared citizenship in God's kingdom. Paul has shared concepts of a unified body of believers becoming the temple of God. I mean, look at what he says in chapter 219. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let me share another instance of communal faith in chapter 3 in verses 14 through 19. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So as you can see, we, we have this communal and familial language, which strengthens my point about a communal faith instead of a purely individualistic faith. But one thing to note is that in Greek, they have words that differentiate between the singular use of the word you and the plural use of the word you. And when we translate it to English, unfortunately, in our English translations, both the singular and the plural for you just says you. And in English, you just means one individual. It, it's singular. So many times when we are reading scripture and we see the word you, we assume it's talking about us individually. When in reality, many, many times it's the plural for you, meaning you all, or if you're from the South, y'all. And this is really important, as you can probably guess. And I want to point out a few examples of how the plural usage of y'all can get misunderstood in our English translations and how that, how that has shaped a lot of believers' understandings of what their role is in the body of Christ. So look at this. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, 19 through 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were brought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And I just want to ask, how many times have y'all heard this verse be used to say that your individual human bodies are temples? This verse gets used all the time. People say, my body is a temple, so I got to take care of it. And, and it's like, yes, take care of your body, but <laughs> I'm sorry, it alone is not a, a temple. That would mean that we would have billions of little temples running around, and that's just not what this verse means. In Greek, every time you read the word you or your here in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, it is actually the plural Greek word for you, and that Greek word is hymen, which means when we see you in this passage, we need to understand it as y'all, as you all plural, talking about the, the plurality of all the members in the body of Christ together. So I want to reread 1 Corinthians 6, talking about the temple and the body, but actually insert the proper plural usage of the word y'all. So we would say this, or do y'all not know that y'all's body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Did you catch that? Y'all's body, your collective body is a temple is one temple of the Holy Spirit within y'all, whom y'all have from God. Y'all are not y'all's own, for y'all were brought with the price, so glorify God in y'all's body. What Paul is saying in this passage is the same thing that he's saying in Ephesians 2 at the very end, that all of the individual believers of Christ make up one temple. So the whole body of Christ is a singular temple, and therefore, we need to take care of our community of believers. We need to interact 
with our community of believers. We need to have fellowship and worship and, and giving thanks within our community of believers. And I say all of this to highlight the fact that here in Ephesians 5, the Spirit has influenced us in such a way that leads to a building of community. These actions of speaking in psalms and hymns and singing and making melody to the Lord and giving thanks always, these have to be done in a communal setting where there's a gathering of believers. What's the purpose of just speaking psalms and hymns and spiritual songs if you're speaking to yourself? There, there needs to be a gathering of believers. Now, now, here's the kicker. When we look back in verse 19, when Paul says that we're to sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord, guess what? The Greek word for your is hymen, which is the plural. So Paul is telling the collective group of believers to sing and make melody to the Lord in y'all's heart. The whole group together is supposed to sing and make melody with one shared heart, one shared purpose. Isn't that really interesting? I, I know that this sounds weird, but this highlights the communal aspect of worship and the gathering of believers. And the Spirit is filling us and influencing us to do these things communally to do these things together. These, these are not meant to be done alone, by yourself. I know we, we really cherish individualism in our Western Christianity, but it, it's actually going against how God has fashioned His church. He wants these things to be done communal, communally. Now, to put the icing on this communal worshiping and life-sharing cake, verse 21, Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And here's another result of being filled by the Holy Spirit. The result is that we're called to submit to one another. And why do we do that? Well, we do so out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? We, we submit to one another not because of some sort of weird power hierarchy, not because any individual believer has more authority or power over you and therefore you have to submit to them. No, no, no. We submit to one another. All believers mutually submit to one another. And we do so because we love, fear, and cherish the authority and the power and the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. It's a mutual act of submission. It's not forced. It's not coerced. It is done out of love for Jesus and is done voluntarily. And both parties are called to submit to one another. We're called to submit to one another. And now also here's the kicker, and, and this will be unpopular for many people to hear. Paul doesn't say submit to one another only if the other is submitting back to you. 
Paul just says to submit. And we do so because we love Christ. So there will be instances where believers will submit to one another, will will lay down their own self-interest in order to help and serve another believer. And there will be times where the believer that you are submitting to and serving and putting first will not give you that same courtesy. And understanding the fact that this is a this is a act of submission that is not forced, but is done out of love for Jesus and is done voluntarily, understanding this will be very, very important to understanding the rest of this chapter, especially when we start talking about submission within marriage, submission within the home. But you notice, once again, this communal setting, how the Spirit influences us, is done in a communal way. because. You can't submit to someone else if you are not in community with someone else. You cannot submit and serve another believer if you are not constantly interacting and having a communal relationship with other believers. This is the influence that the Holy Spirit has on us. And instead of being unwise, and instead of being foolish, and instead of being drunk with wine, we are called to be wise. We're called to be discerning of God's will. We're called to be filled by the Spirit. And what's interesting is, is that in that triad that we covered last week with being unwise and wise and foolish and discerning and being drunk with wine and being filled by the Spirit, the first two of that triad is a, is a choice, right? It, it, it takes a believer a person to choose to quit living in an unwise way. It, it takes a choice to quit being foolish and start discerning and, and chasing after the will of God, which implies that when it comes to being filled by the Holy Spirit, it also takes the choice that you will put aside the things like being drunk with wine that causes you to lose your your control over your cognitive functions and over your mind. And instead, you start searching after and chasing after the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. And when it fills you, the natural recourse of that is a desire to start learning God's Word so you can speak to other believers in the worship language of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So you can start singing and worshiping God in a communal setting. So you can constantly give thanks to the Lord above. And so you can submit to one another's because you love Jesus. This is the result of us allowing the Holy Spirit to influence us.